Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ooh, hello, Internet Wanderers. Welcome back to another episode of Real Sight. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. JD, will there be learning? Joanna, there will be. Will there be science? There will be science. Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? There will be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations (laughs) from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways. You did it. (laughs) <laughs> that was full teleprompter vibes for me yeah, just yeah. now. Feeling good, honestly. Feeling gorgeous. I mean, you nailed it. Thank you. Yeah. You make it look easy, and it's not. That's high praise. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I meant to say, you look easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Right. We're on Zoom, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I had like a stressful work week, so I didn't sleep a lot this week, but... Stork week. It's the weekend. It's the freaking weekend, baby. (laughs) I think I've said that multiple times now on the podcast, (laughs) but I'm really embarrassed about it. (laughs) Uh, If it's still in when you're listening, audience, it means I'm embarrassed, but I'm not that embarrassed. (laughs) That's for next week. That's for next week. How Um, are you doing? I am doing... Well, I had a fairly chill work week, which is quite nice. It's awesome. Um, and looking toward the summer, I booked a vacation <laughs> for August. Where are you uh, going? My friend, my friend David, who's like legit Italian, uh, is legit Italian, if you will. <laughs> uh, is his family reunion is out there, and so I'm gonna go like join him for a family reunion. And I think it's going to be a really fun, like, it's like it's some, like, house in Tuscany or something. Hey, David. Shout out to David. He'll be on an episode at some Is it point. actually Tuscany? It's. I think it's actually Tuscany. Oh, my gosh. You're going to get or your Diane Lane on? Tucson, AZ. I can't. <laughs> that's in Italy, right? Um, yeah, no, we're uh, we're going to go out there. It's going to be a really fun way of being like, no, like, we're actually just friends. And be like, no, no, you're like, wink, roommates. And be like, no, we're just, we're friends. And I'm just going to be like, you know what? Believe what you want to. Yeah. I could date a lot worse. Yeah. I could date a lot better. <laughs> you just said hi, David. <laughs> well. No. That, it sounds like the the beginning of a great rom-com. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I think the 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 greatest rom com is that it'll be a it'll be a bromantic comedy. I love that. A That's the best kinds. Yeah, because we're bros. <laughs> Total Such bros. bros. Do you know when I was a uh, freshman in college, I met my uh, roommate for the first time, Logan. Shout out to Logan. And uh, I told him, he he was like, oh, do you like potty? He was from uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts. He was mm-hmm. like, do you potty? And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. He was like, great, we're going to be boys. And I was like, I literally looked him <laughs> in the eye and I go, oh, I've never been boys with anyone. <laughs> and he looks at me and he pauses and he goes, do you date girls? And I was like, no, I don't. I Super don't. Dad. And in my own like homophobia, I was like my self-inflicted homophobia. I was like, I'm not like a drag queen or anything, because like that's what the, the nightmare. That's what they're be, afraid right? of, right? Yeah, that's that's what they're afraid of. And he was like, No, no, no. That's like that's like cool, because like it's like more girls for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was like his full <laughs> attitude to me being gay. It was just like cool. It's a it's like a nun. We, we're we're going to be boys. That uh, reminds me of this time when I was in college and I was walking down the street and there was a guy who was like, girl, you boricua. And I didn't know what that meant. And so I, <laughs> I looked at him and I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then I Googled it later, but I didn't know how to spell it. So it took a while. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I am not Puerto Rican. You are not. You so are I not. was I was right. But I took it. I took right. a guess. I and took in fact, a guess. not knowing the answer to that, it also yeah, also right. Yeah, but I wasn't sure. That's my ethnicity in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> TBD ethnicity. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, you want to talk about this movie? Let's talk about this movie. It's not my pick. It is so my you, pick. You talk about it. Okay. Um. So actually, it's a little bit related to. This little anecdote that I just shared, but in the it is no. <laughs> it's uh, a movie from two thousand. Okay. I oh, have not. Right. I've not seen it. But is it center stage again? And we're going to talk about Ava center stage two. <laughs> it's center stage two. The centerist stage. We did not have enough time to talk about everything in that movie. No. Um, okay. So here's the tagline: Take chances, have flaws, embrace life. Oh, I mean, also, I'm still saying it's center stage. Like, I'm, I refuse. I think you're wrong. Take chances. Have fun. Flaws. Have flaws. Uh, I, I, no, I need more. Yeah, I, okay. Um, the year 2000. Crossroads? No. So, okay. I've not seen this movie, but I should have. Because my favorite person in the whole world is in it. And it's America re- Ferreira? Yes. Is this Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? No. Oh, I should have done that. No. <laughs> Real Women Have Curves? Yes. Oh, Her first right. uh, vehicle. Yeah. Yes. I've never seen it. So I, I've i seen... Oh, I should have done Sisterhood. Now I'm regretting everything. Sister um, Pants? Sister Pants. <laughs> should have done Sister Pants. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've not seen this one. I feel like we can really get into it and um, you know, talk about kind of an area we haven't Super dug into yet, and um, curves, curves, right? Women, <laughs> all of it, really. This movie no. takes place at a curves for women, correct? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it actually is a Weight Watchers. Incidentally, is it really? No. Oh, <laughs> you really got me. <laughs> no, oh. it's all about having flaws and embracing life. Yeah, but I mean, like, curves aren't flaws. 
already fat shaming. No, I mean, if you're talking about the establishment, there's sure. some questionable sure. stuff. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah. you Have you seen this movie? Also, just the statement, real women have curves, is, is body shaming. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you, 2000. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen this movie uh, probably like when I was deep in my ugly Betty Phase. Yeah, I just finished uh, rewatching Superstore, um, so I'm in a real America for America because I've already rewatched Ugly Betty. <laughs> I for some reason thought you were doing like a weird voice on Superstar, and you were like, "I just rewatched Superstore," <laughs> and no. I was like, "Oh, okay." No, Superstore. Superstore. Sleeper comedy. Yeah, totally hit America yeah. Ferrera. It's so good. It is so good. So I wanted to go back to the beginning. I think she's like 15 or 18 or something. She's like she's very young. young. Yeah. yeah, it's before Sister Pants. It's before Ugly Betty. Yeah, yeah. I love this pick. Yeah, I'm really excited. Let's find out. If, okay. Let's find out what the screenwriter gets to say about what real women have. <laughs> After the break. See you later. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. We are back together. This movie is lovely. Yeah, it's emotional. Like, I I found it very emotional. But it's also just, I feel like every time we're like, it was so good. But it was so good. And I I can't believe I haven't seen it before. You'd never seen this movie before? No, and I'm like, America Ferrera's biggest fan. Yeah, I mean, this was her first film, Mm -hmm. yeah? You know, I will say, there really were parts where I you could feel how green she was yeah, as an yeah. actor. Um, and I actually wonder how in order they shot this film, because I actually found the early scenes, I really felt like I could feel her acting. And by the end of the film, I was like totally on board and it felt like exa- I was like a completely engrossed in the yeah. character. Yeah, actually, that I totally agree. Um, I mean, she was a beautiful performance. Well, yeah, it felt I, very authentic, like, the whole time. Yeah. Should we talk about what... The, let's synopsize okay. this. So, movie opens on Anna, uh, is the main character, played by America Ferreira. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, she's with her family. She has an older sister 
who's like significantly older and then her parents mm-hmm. um her mom i don't know if have you seen uh selena selena yeah. her mom killed yeah selena. so like the second the movie opened on her i hated her and i was trying like took yeah. me a second to remember that she played yolanda saldivar but i was like yeah. oh i hate you um and then she's you know kind of the antagonist in this movie so she's right you know not more likable <laughs> from this movie. Crushing the dreams of young Mexican women, American women. Yeah. Um, the world of, of yeah, a, so a large. The movie starts like she, the mom is like in bed feeling very unwell. And she tells Anna like, well, I, I can't get out of bed. You have to cook for all the men. And she's like, it's my last day of high school. I'm not missing that. Um, right. And it's kind of a thing with her mom kind of resenting her for that. Mm-hmm. And then you see her... Uh, go to high school which is in beverly hills like this takes place in yeah. la um takes like she three takes buses yeah you can see that mm-hmm. she's definitely among people that she doesn't have a lot in common with yeah they have such a nice setup where they're like i'm going to stanford yeah. i'm gonna yada 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 and they ask her what she's doing and she's like i'm gonna backpack across europe yeah yeah um because she doesn't have money right. and she's just listening to all these kids it does seem like she's yeah. definitely downplayed her background as much as possible, mm-hmm. like getting through that mm-hmm. school. But she does have a teacher, um, George Lopez, or Mr. Uh, Guzman, I think, but um, mm-hmm. you know, who really believes in her and is like, "What do you mean you're not uh, going to college?" And you know, she's like, "I have to work. It's too late. Whatever." Um, so then she goes home. There's a graduation party for her by like her family because her I, is. She lives with her cousins, I think, and maybe, like, she, their cousins, two male cousins around. Um, yeah, they're around. Yeah, maybe they live nearby live or there. something. She shares a room with her sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, lives with her parents and her grandfather. Yes. So you see, um, you know, they're celebrating her graduating high school, but you also see this tension from her mom kind of right, it, like, encapsulates the whole, like, tone of the movie where she is, mm-hmm. you know, criticizing her for eating cake and you know really criticizing her weight and how she looks and then also you know saying that she has to start like get to work and help her Mm -hmm. sister estella in her like dress factory um and anna doesn't want to do that but so it's kind of like a conflict but um and even estella is like you know mom like i can't pay her so you know whatever but Mm -hmm. um Regardless, she kind of ends up working at the factory. She goes there. Um, she's kind of like spoiled in a way or like just uh Yeah, she feels sheltered. very above yes. it in her reaction. She she walks out, in fact, at the in the middle of the first yeah. day. She's there and everyone's very angry with yeah. her. Yeah. And so And there's this attitude of like, Oh, I'm just working here until I can find another job right. and then one of the women is like, Oh yeah, me too. I've been here for twenty right. years. Exactly. Kind of thing. So not not realizing she's kind of like insulting the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and then there's also like this boy in her high school class who's like interested in her. Um and that's kind of funny because he's white and some of the like he likes her and I think, you know, his interest is genuine and stuff but some of the things that he says around her like he has no idea what her life situation is like he's like yeah oh, everything's so stressful with like 
you know, vacation plans and getting my car and like all this stuff and and everything in life, you know, I want to teach because everything in life is just so easy. Yeah, for us. exactly. It's all just handed to yeah. us: a car and school right, right. and all these things. And she's like, uh-huh. "Yeah, same." Um, but I think she like, you know, they they start kind of dating in secret. Um, the mom mm-hmm. is very like wanting her. There's a lot of talk about virginity and a lot of talk about virginity, you know, a lot of talk about purity, a lot of talk about finding a husband, mm-hmm, being a good mother, like really the mm-hmm. uh, stereotypical kind of roles for women. Um, and so, you know, they even tell like the mom has gossip about this girl in the neighborhood who was engaged to this guy and she ended up like having sex with him before they got married and he left her. Right. The one who left, it's the one who left the factory. No. Uh-huh. It's the one who leaves Mexico, leaves to move to Mexico with her fiancé and leaves the factory. It's that girl. But I thought the fiancé left this girl. They Yes, that girl does not get married in Mexico. She's supposed to move to Mexico to get married to her fiancé, but she sleeps with him before the wedding, and then he chooses not to marry her. So then where'd they go? I don't know. She doesn't come back into the movie. Oh. I thought it was like she's some an other... impure woman, so she hangs her head in shame. Ugh. Okay, so yeah, um, so that's like trying to teach Anna a lesson or like illustrate, you know, this is how mm-hmm. this is how the world is. Um, but Anna, you know, still wants to. I mean, it's interesting. Like she's very defiant, um, and even though her mom like criticizes her a lot, you see her like fight against that a bit instead right. of like in. You see her, like, um, I guess, chiming in or, like, in, internalizing that or, like, having bad right. body issues. She it seems like she's kind of rebelling against that. Yeah, she rejects yeah, it largely. Yeah, and so, yeah, she's dating this guy, Jimmy. Um, he's... She secretly applies to college. Yep, uh, because her teacher, like, knows someone on the Columbia uh, admissions. Admission, the dean of admissions yeah. at Columbia. So she secretly applies... Um, at with her teacher's support, um, but she's still working <clears throat> at the the factory with her sister, and she kind of, over time, realizes how hard her sister works, and mm-hmm. also the pride that her sister takes mm-hmm. in the work that she does, and and how much she really loves it, despite the fact that yeah. you know she doesn't get paid a lot, and um, it's very hard work, but you see mm-hmm. how much she really loves it and is proud of what she does, and I think that Anna kind of realizes that and it seems like that you know there's more of an understanding there and she's kind of happier to contribute to the right to the work that they're doing um and so yeah so all of that's happening um the mom there's like a part where the mom uh is confiding in Anna and she thinks she's pregnant yeah the mom thinks she's and, pregnant and you know she's like I haven't had my period in three months four months um, and then they go to the doctor together. The doctor's like, we should talk about the, you know, Menopause, the big change, the change of, life. of life. Yeah. Which is yeah. a very interesting, like her, the mom not knowing what menopause is. Right. Um, something about medical education. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's a whole part of it. She's very close with her grandfather who is so like loving and supportive of her. So loving. Her dad, her dad is also quite a softie. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's all going on. She ends up getting into college and mm-hmm. Mr. Guzman like comes to the house to tell her 
and her family mm-hmm. and says, you know, you got in and you got a full ride, like full tuition, like full scholarship at Columbia, at Columbia, which is just, you I mean, wild, right? That's amazing. So applying in the middle I know, of the summer I know. before it right. starts. And they were like, you know what? America Ferreira, you're going to be an intern <laughs> at Vogue. I mean, she must be very smart to like have gotten into that school as well. Very. So, you know, very. but whatever. So the he tells her and her family the dad is like understands that it's a really big deal um yeah and the mom is like immediately very mad um and then they ask like where it is and they don't realize that it's in new york and that's the dad kind of is like okay no that's not gonna happen i didn't come here to have my family broken up. yeah there's a lot of like um like guilt and concern over you know breaking apart the family and um Mm -hmm. even the dad is kind of agreeing with that and saying like you know she'll go to college but not now she has to work now she'll go to college later Mm -hmm. Um, and the dad like is a like does like lawn care mm -hmm. he's in landscaping with the cousins like a landscaper groundskeeper Mm -hmm. kind of job uh, and so, like, he works very hard. Like, they, it works very, like, traditional, mm-hmm. what we would consider, like, you know, even stereotypical yeah. um, manual labor. And so he, yeah, he says no. Mom says no. And that's kind of end of discussion. Yeah. And she, the, I think the way that they get Anna to finally agree is the mom invokes the grandfather of, like, you're going to leave your grandfather here. You're going to leave your grandfather. Yeah. And she's very close. The grandfather's been even helping her to go on these dates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's they, very she, they cute. They claim that, they're, that she's going to the movies. And he'll say, okay, I'll be back in two mm-hmm. hours. And she goes and has dinner with, with the boy. So her grandfather and her, you know, he tells a sweet story early on that, like, there's this legend that there's gold in the hills of his village. And if you have a kind heart, you'll find, you know, the gold will be revealed mm-hmm. to you. And he says, and she's like, I think you'll find your treasure one day. And he goes, I did. It's you. Yeah. Like, and he's very sweet, yeah. very loving. Yeah, so... The opposite of mom. Right, right. Um, and her sister, like, is supportive of her, too, I think. Um, they yeah. seem a bit... I think her sister has a bit of uh, resentment mm-hmm. of, like, do you really think you're better yeah. than me? Yeah, there's definitely conflict there, but I think they... I mean, they definitely come to an understanding, um, you know, yeah. and... Yeah. So, yeah, so then... Then what happens? Uh, so uh, America Ferreira loses her virginity oh, to yes. this boy. Yeah. Uses a condom, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate her showing like that this is like. And then and, she went uh, to the pharmacy and was like, I'm, you know, I want to buy some condoms, which is like. I'm going to buy some yeah. condoms. She really chose, like really made the mm-hmm. choice too as well. He was like, we don't have to. And she's like, I want to yeah. do this. Yeah. And even like afterwards where he's like, I'll write you letters and blah, blah, blah. She kind of. Has a lot of autonomy, and she's like, no, you won't. It's okay. Like, don't worry about it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's also a really nice scene where they turn off the lights, and she says, no, I want yeah, you to see. Yeah, yeah. I want you to see how I look. Yeah. And she sort of makes fun of her body a little bit to him. Yeah, she talks. And says, yeah. like, her boobs are too mm-hmm. big, or, like, he says, you have a really beautiful face. And she's like, is that right. all? Like, is right. that, that's the only part of me that's beautiful? Mm-hmm. Like, and so she kind of almost challenges him to reject her yeah. through the whole yeah. relationship and then even in the end when he's like yeah I'll call you I'll write to you and she's like no don't and he's like I'll email you and she's like no you won't you're gonna meet some skinny girl yeah, at college girl, yeah. some skinny blonde girl totally yeah. 
And then he's going to teacher's college. He's going I to know. Columbia. I was like, does no one, we're not going to talk about that, but whatever. But they call it teacher's college. I know. College, they don't call it Columbia, like, but teacher's college is Columbia. Columbia. <laughs> teacher's college is Columbia. Yeah. Anyways, I know. I, whatever. But anyway, so then she comes back and the mom can tell immediately that she's lost her virginity. Yeah. And you see, she's, she's kind of looking at herself in the mirror, kind of like seeing herself in a new way, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And then the mom kind of confronts her about it and is really mad and is like, you, you know, you Very. completely ruined yourself, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. she, throughout the movie, keeps saying things like, I have thoughts, I have ideas, like, I'm more than what's between my legs. And she mm-hmm. slaps her and it's kind of this whole confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout the factory, the mom continues to, like, chastise her for her weight. Um, and mm-hmm. then... It's very hot in there, so, so uh, Anna America Ferrer like strips down because she's just like yeah, sick. Yeah, kind of, of the key scene in yeah, the film. She kind of strips down. She's like, I'm sick of being so hot. This feels so much better. And then gets the other women because the mom also kind of makes fun of the other women as well and mm-hmm. comments on their mm-hmm. bodies and their weight. And they start comparing like, oh, like I have stretch marks. Or like, oh, you want to see stretch marks? Like these are stretch mm-hmm. marks. And then they all mm-hmm. kind of end up in their their underwear and are feeling really empowered about it. Like everyone Mm -hmm. except for the mom. Um, And yeah, it's a really cool scene where they're all kind of celebrating each other, but also like prioritizing their own comfort. And it, it does end with a sweet moment that her mom kind of rejects, but where she sort of lifts her mom's shirt a little and sees her cesarean scar. Yeah. And she says, what is that scar mom? And she says, that's you. Yeah. But then, storms right. out like she still... she rejects the idea of like embracing yeah her body yeah and then so then she uh goes to her dad at some point and is mm-hmm. kind of like listen i gotta tell you something i don't know how to tell you and and he immediately he, gives his yep, blessing he knows she doesn't even he doesn't yeah she doesn't have to yeah ask. and so what the thing was is that she is accepted the spot at columbia and is going to be going and the mom is totally uh upset you know she's just like totally upset about it and the kind of last scene of the movie is um or second to last scene is you know they're going to the airport the dad and the grandfather who's both seem to be very supportive um and the sister who's kind of she's supportive she gives her a hug but she's also like i can't go with you to the airport i got stuff to do like my she's Mm -hmm. still really busy and all that Mm -hmm. and then uh anna is like knocking on the door to say goodbye to her mom and her mom doesn't come out and just kind of, mm-hmm. you see her think about it and almost. She stands up. Yeah. She gets out of bed and stands up, but doesn't say anything. Yeah. And doesn't come out. Yeah. And Anna. Has to leave. Goes to Yeah, the without her blessing. Um, and then the last scene of the movie is her like super confidently walking around in New York City it's a really well, nice. It's a really sweet yeah. thing because there's a there's a scene earlier on where her mom tries to get her to walk like yes. a woman. She's like, "Don't like slouch. Don't like you should walk like a woman." And then you see her in New York, walking like yeah. a woman through Times Square. I know, I know. Places. But I mean, for someone who's like never, sure. you know, I was thinking yeah. like she probably was never on a plane or anything, maybe. Unlike, I mean, not yeah. much. I mean, maybe she'd been to Mexico right, or right. something to go visit. Yeah. But so that's a movie. That's the movie. There's a lot. You know, one of them, there's a lot. One of the things we've talked a little bit about this um, it, on the pod previously, 
when we talked about um, Encanto, we've talked a little bit about it um, as well with this sort of narrative that most of these like first generation mm -hmm. or like intergenerational trauma narratives have where in the end, like grandma, like in Encanto says, I'm so sorry, I really shouldn't have done this. Um, we see this in Turning Red, we see mm -hmm. this in Everything Everywhere All at mm -hmm. Once, where these parents who are um, sort of enacting this harm on their kids are like, I've learned yeah, my lesson. Yeah, there's a realization and a, yeah. Yeah, and I think what's so special about this movie is her mother does not. No, yeah. Her mom doesn't get it. You see her sort of struggle with it a little bit, but her mom does not come out and give her blessing. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, and, unknown how it, you know, whether she'll ever give her blessing because she seems really mm -hmm. uh, set in her ways. I mean, there's even a point where the dad is trying to talk to her about, like, going to college or whatever, and she's like, uh, the mom, she's like, I was working since I was 13, and it is 18 years old. It's not fair, she says. Mm -hmm. And it's this, mm -hmm. this expectation. I, there's, like, more wrapped into it than just, like, wanting her daughter to have a good life as she you know defines it but also this this fairness thing that is really mm -hmm. interesting i think this fairness the idea i think there's this real struggle that her mother is having with anna rejecting mm -hmm. the life that her mother has and wants for yeah. her and i do think it is a real um a real struggle to tell in this movie because anna as the protagonist is the most American one in the family mm -hmm. and is the one where her ideas and her sort of goals and her aims get to be the right thing. She's the progressive, you know, smart, capable woman. Yeah. And so I do think this film is tough on immigrant parents. Yeah. Um, I think it, it like, it, that's not to say that there's not but there's two sides mm -hmm. to this, right? And I do think that it does have a very American look at this girl getting into Columbia University. We're like, let's be real. She's going to go there and she's going to experience a lot of racism. And she's, yeah, I mean, she's, I, I guess she spent four years around white, rich white people. So she has experience yeah. there, but. But she's going to probably continue to have this like microaggressed mm -hmm. experience. Wanting to like kind of keep up with her classmates. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I do think, I mean, like, again, this is not to say, like, she shouldn't go to Columbia. Right. Um, but, you know, it is her choosing to work, uh, to in, embrace mm -hmm. the more American elite mm -hmm. experience. And the only other example we have of that is the woman who owns the company that buys the dresses. Yes. Yeah. Who is also a Latina who, you know, runs a business and kind of exploits her sister. Totally. And it's like and pretending like she's doing her a favor too. Yeah. And isn't really, um, you know, these demands are, you know, it, and the, the woman in, in that case is the middle person as well. Like they say they, they buy the dresses for $18. Bloomingdale sells them for $600 mm -hmm. in 2002. Yeah. So these are nice. Yeah. Dresses. I mean, they're beautiful too. Like just in general. They're yeah. Stunning. I can't like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot there. I think so. Some of the, we can dig into the research. I think um, some yeah. of the the stuff that I looked at was about mother daughter relationships and how okay. that. I'm very excited to hear your research, but also your 
who should name for the pod like your experience. Well, yeah, is it, the- it's interesting because I, so I'm my mom is an immigrant from Peru. My dad is from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of like half first generation. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely like watching this movie. There were some things that hit me real hard. And then other things that I'm like, okay, you know, that's that wasn't my experience as that much. That wasn't my experience. But yeah. Um, yeah, there's this like mother-daughter relationship stuff, body dissatisfaction, spe- mm-hmm. especially. Um, and so there's, it's interesting. There's um, like a lot of studies about um, mothers kind of uh, imposing like body ideals on their daughters Mm -hmm. um, by Mm -hmm. like commenting on their appearance or not. There's a study um, that showed uh, that, let's see, where is it? Oh, only 31% of mothers reported that they have never commented um, on their daughter's weight. And that's the mother's comments too, which I would be interested to hear how many daughters claim their mothers have never commented on their weight. Um, And so, but there is something about like cultural norms Mm -hmm. in different countries so in mexico for example like those cultural norms is towards a higher like body weight and so um like for some uh like latina adolescent girls they it can be almost protective because if they're really tied to their culture they Mm -hmm. may endorse like kind of higher weight body ideals and Mm-hmm. Uh, be less uh, dissatisfied with their bodies. Um, right. And there was like a, a study that, that said that um, when young women who self-identified as Latina were more likely to describe their body size in positive terms than Latina right. women who didn't mention their ethnic like identity. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, it can be kind of pre- protective in a way of like in the sense that they're having different cultural norms to compare themselves to um but there is kind of the moderator here is acculturation so Mm -hmm. this was um you know more acculturated which means you know kind of acclimating to the culture um of the united Mm -hmm. states in in these studies Mm -hmm. um so more acculturated uh latinas uh, like adolescent girls often exhibit greater body dissatisfaction than their less acculturated counterparts. And this is also true for women, like adult women. And so, yeah, so th- there is this kind of moderator here that's impacting how women are seeing themselves. Um, right. And there's also, um, you know, the mother kind of component is a lot of it's based off of their own body dissatisfaction for mothers yeah. and kind of projecting yeah. that onto their daughters. Um, you know, there's like mothers who felt bad about their bodies were more likely to be critical's critical of their daughter's body size. Right. Which she names. She's mm-hmm. like, mom, you're overweight. Yeah. And she's like, yes, but I'm right. married. Yeah. So it's this like sort of faux concern. Well, I guess it is. I, I think know, she may just not want to admit little... about herself, and she's just channel all right. in, channeling all of that like negative energy to right. her daughter. Um, right. Yeah. There's there's also like a, a a moderator of 
immigrant status. So um, participants with immigrant mothers versus U.S.-born mothers, all mm-hmm. Latinas. Um, so participants with immigrant mothers were significantly more likely to report being dissatisfied with their bodies, which is interesting wow. because I think there's more of a that acculturation, that process of acculturation, mm-hmm. um, maybe right. impacting like it's kind of like the the change from body ideals that they may have seen in you know the country where they grew up versus where they moved to versus u.s born uh mothers like that's kind of been their whole life Mm -hmm. so maybe that that change in who they're seeing around them and and what their bodies look like is is having an impact on how they're seeing themselves um i wonder also like culturally like just the like sexualization and exotification of like particularly, the, I know this is about immigrants, so it's not necessarily racially bound, mm-hmm. but of, you know, black and brown women yeah. and the ways in which like they are expected, like so much of their, of the value that the, the media places on these women is in a, like a sexualized kind of beauty yes. and how that sort of, that would engage in this sort of dynamic yeah of i mean body satisfaction yeah so that's important to name is like a lot of these studies are based off of bmi body weight like period and so there right. was some um research on comparing like hispanic versus caucasian versus black uh women right and black women mm-hmm. uh were more likely to endorse like a higher body weight um mm-hmm. and then hispanic and caucasian women both like endorsed lower body weights as kind of the the ideal the ideal mm-hmm. right um and it's super interesting i mean the bmi as well is like well such yeah a it's metric. totally i mean even like i think having a category of hispanic people like in general is problematic because it's an ethnicity not a race and so you're gonna have exactly. lots of races um within that group so it's kind of muddy there to begin with totally. and then totally. um, but there may be like hispanic women uh or like people you know from latin america like tend to have different bodies from white women mm-hmm. because right that's how you know like genetics, genetics. right they're they it are is, different yeah. and they are kind of more wanting to fit into those those white norms um, as right. opposed to black women who have like a different um, different cultural norms that they're comparing mm-hmm. themselves to, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's a function of like there's something specific about Latina women uh, themselves or if it's because it's kind of a mixed like there's. You know, it's like a not good measure because there's different races within that group. Right. Well, and it's also then sort of speaking to this like second culture experience, yeah. right? So for like first gen American or first gen, you know, any nationality, right? For with immigrant parents where they're coming from and have been raised in one culture and the children, it's called second culture right. where the kids are sort of raised in mm-hmm. both. And America Ferreira being, of course, the youngest one in the family is the most second yeah. culture in this um, her sister, it's it's not clear the, like, uh, migration timeline or narrative, um, but you know that the sister's 11 years older. Yeah. And so the sister uh, and has taken a more traditional path that the parents are okay with, although the sister doesn't get a pass when it comes to her body weight, when it comes to being single, when it comes yeah, to any yeah. of these things. Yeah, yeah. 
She doesn't have an accent, though. Like, she kind of speaks more similarly to Anna, whereas everyone else in the family does have an accent. She has what I what I actually would think of as, like, a typical, like, Mexican-American accent. She has, like, a very Angelino mm, okay. um, accent in terms of her, like, tone and, and inflection, yeah. which, like, the Chicano experience is, like, Chicano is, I guess, what the daughters might consider themselves. So the Chicano is the Mexican-American yeah. sort of culture, and particularly in Los Angeles, uh, there are so many Mexican-American Angelinos. And so this sort of Chicano experience is very California. Um, and so I do think she has like a Los Angeles Yeah, that accent. was another thing I noticed too of like um, where you, who you're surrounded by, right? Because there's such mm-hmm. a strong like Chicano presence and mm-hmm. established culture, like they live around other people who speak Spanish and who kind of share culture as opposed to other immigrants who may move like my mom for example moved to like a very white neighborhood and town you know and it was like completely there was no one yeah there was no one around that uh looked like her or shared her culture Mm -hmm. and so that's a very Mm -hmm. different experience from kind of having like the support almost of of a community Um, yeah a very bilingual yeah yeah so that was another uh-huh. thing that I think is it's a factor here in terms of like how um, like Anna and the family kind of function. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Anna's experience in high school is probably much more like what, uh, you know, being kind of the only one uh, mm-hmm. woman of color like in in the school. Um, and that's what she'll, she'll get more of that at Columbia as well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but yeah, so there were, um, just to like close this off, there were some mm-hmm. factors that uh, like predicted the quality of mother-daughter relationships. And so interestingly, okay. mm-hmm. just to start with this, so the daughter's perception of the mother-daughter relationship was associated with the daughter's self-esteem and body dissatisfaction, but the maternal mm-hmm. perception of that relationship was not. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, mm-hmm. there's a disconnect here with how the mother's perceiving so moms are like no it's yeah fine. perceiving that relationship but it doesn't impact exactly. our relationship um but it doesn't affect my daughter's view of <laughs> right. herself um and some of that's just like lack of awareness of maybe of their own body image issues as well um because they're so internalized they're so internalized i mean i also think like generationally the differences in how we talk about bodies and race and gender then all of those things is so vastly different from our yeah, parents. For sure. That the the gap in like really naming like, mom, you cannot say that to me about my body. Right. Um, and just like female body empowerment uh, is obviously not new historically, but is so much more uh, entrenched in our generation, which of course like we are, we're two years, two and three years younger than America Ferrera's character mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this film. Um, and so, like, we are are still raised to be so much more accustomed to body acceptance, body positivity, body autonomy. Yeah, for sure. Than moms. Yeah. yeah. Moms. Just moms. <laughs> Just all moms. Um, yeah. So there are some predictors of, like, a positive, uh, like, you know, mother-daughter relationship uh, and, like, helping... Uh, mm-hmm. daughters have good 
uh, you know, self-esteem and, and perception mm-hmm. of their body image. So breaking intergenerational silence is one of them. Ooh, Creating okay. relational safety, um, that autonomy, like cultivating that autonomy. Um, mm-hmm. Encouraging daughters to play sports is one. Um, yeah, in terms of like a sense of power, but also um, like going against gender norms from a no- young age can make them like question, right. you know, not just like accept those as blindly as if they're. There's also something about learning your body's capabilities beyond visual appeal. Totally. Like understanding how strong you are. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Although it depends on the sport. And there are lots of sports that are highly correlated with disordered eating and body dissatisfaction. Well, yes. That's super yeah. good point. Um, and then emphasizing non-appearance related aspects of their daughter's ident- identities. So there's like all mm-hmm. this stuff for, you know, like uh, babies like who, you know, they're like, oh, she's so beautiful. She's so gorgeous. And, right. and trying to like say more <laughs> than just like, oh, she's so beautiful. But that's kind of like the compliment that you hear about like little girls and um, mm-hmm. things like that. So uh, I think. I started hearing more about like people challenging that and wanting to not because you don't say like oh little boys are so gorgeous and so like beautiful and stuff right it's a it's certainly a much rarer thing to be like he's so handsome you know what i mean like maybe if it's like a little boy in a suit you'd be like how dapper of you or whatever but like you're not like such a hot baby (laughs) but people really put a lot of that on girls oh she is gorgeous or like watch out when she's older you know and stuff like Mm -hmm. that you look so pretty like it's the it's the thing you Mm -hmm. say yeah um (laughs) from now on just be like you look like a confident leader (laughs) i would have loved to hear that you look like your ideas could change the world (laughs) so yeah i mean there's definitely things that can help cultivate that i mean they're kind of totally intuitive but um so the other thing that I looked into was just kind of statistics from 2002, mm-hmm. actually, when this movie took mm-hmm. place. I said in the intro that it was from 2000, but it's actually 2002. Sorry. Um, Update. Yeah. But just statistics about Latinos in higher education. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's actually like, um, in terms of all high school graduates, there's a higher mm-hmm. percent of Latinos enrolled in some form of college than mm-hmm. um, the total population of high school graduates. So 10% of all Latino high school graduates are enrolled in some type of college compared to 7%. Um, however, uh, only 35% of Latino high school graduates who are 18 to 24 years old are enrolled in college compared to 46% of Caucasian. So there's right. really this this uh, trend towards um Latinos going to school later uh, when they're older. Um, But there is some evidence to suggest that, you know, this this college attendance age 18 to 24 um, reaps the greatest economic benefits from having a college degree. Um, Mm -hmm. And then so not only the age at which they go to college, but also the type of college that they're enrolled in. So they're right. far, Latinos mm-hmm. are far more likely to be enrolled in a two-year college or community college than any other group. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So 40% of Latinos 18 to 24 years old uh, 
attend two-year institutions compared to about 25% of um, white and black students in that same age group. Um, And they're more likely to be part-time students. Um, Nearly 85% of white 18 to 24-year-old college students are enrolled full-time compared to 75% of Latinos in that same age group. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of like professional, like graduate degrees, um, so mm-hmm. there's 3.8% of Caucasian people are enrolled in graduate school, uh, 1.9% of similarly aged Latino. Wow, uh, like exactly yeah, half. Pursuing post-bac studies. Um, right. So that's interesting, just kind of like there's actually more Latino people enrolling in college, but less they're doing so later and right. they're doing so uh, in part-time at community colleges. Um, yeah. Well, and the socioeconomics of that are huge. Totally. A lot of them right? are like working. Being yeah. full-time enrolled is such a privileged totally. thing. You have to work. Yeah. Um, and that is, I mean, you know, we still know statistically that like black and brown Americans are paid less yep. per dollar than white Americans, mm-hmm. particularly white men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like this, like the systems that we operate in like are designed to keep folks of color out of yeah these positions out of education um and then i mean I, as, a, as somebody who works at a university a four-year university um with a lot of first-gen college students a lot of latinx first-gen college mm-hmm. students um you know we have this is california this is a, a public school there are many whole like offices departments you know uh, and and resources for you know Latinx students and I talk to students every week who are like I feel totally lost and I feel like I don't belong yeah and I and they're you know and they're and so even you know that that is how entrenched it is like even in systems where we where we have so many things and so many resources these students um, particularly queer students mm-hmm. um, you know continue to feel ostracized yeah. and other it is. It is really hard, like even getting, you know, getting a seat at the table or getting a spot is not, it's only the beginning of that journey Mm because you have to feel confident enough looking around at the other people and be like, Mm -hmm. nope, I still deserve, like imposter syndrome is like so victim blaming. Right. (laughs) Like it's, It's yeah, it's like this thing, you know, where you're like, oh no, there's something wrong with me when it's like, nope, it's everything institutionalized that like tells me that I'm not supposed to succeed here is right. is entering my mind and they're like no you're dealing with a syndrome like something is wrong with you I mean even just the constant microaggression I, uh, you know I thought about this movie or when I was watching this movie I thought about a colleague of mine when I was working at Children's Hospital um, hey Veronica if you're listening um, and she and I uh, Veronica was uh, 23 24 somewhere around there, uh, maybe 25, um, and had graduated. She went to, she grew up in LA, first gen Mexican American, mm-hmm. um, went to University of Michigan for undergrad, uh, and then took this job as a research coordinator while planning to get into grad mm-hmm. school, which is what all, the same reason that I was doing it was right. to get into grad school. And uh, she lived with her parents, and it really blew my mind. We had a really great conversation once where she was like, she was like, JD, I have to live with my parents, not because 
of money or because anything, but because like if I'm working in Los Angeles and I choose not to live with my family, that would be a really hurtful thing. Yeah. And I was like, I remember culturally as a white person being told when I was 18 and I was a senior in high school, my mom literally said to me, JD, even if you go to community college 15 miles away, you're moving out. Wow. And that's because culturally, for me to still live with my parents would have made my parents feel like a failure. And for her to leave the house would have made her parents feel like a failure. And so we had so many great conversations. And she also told me that when she uh, applied for that job, uh, she grew up in a neighborhood called Bell Gardens, which is in East LA, um, which is a very Mexican, uh, like heavily Mexican uh, culturally neighborhood that's the worst <laughs> sentence i've ever said um, a neighborhood that's very culturally mm-hmm. mexican-american and while up in the interview uh the, the our boss who i will not name, who i will not name said to her wow you're from bell gardens and you went to michigan and now you're you know applying for a job at children's hospital los angeles how'd you get out <laughs> Her father works for SpaceX. Oh, wow. Her brother went to Stanford. Like, it was like, it it was just one of those things where he was like, oh, you are Mexican-American. Therefore, you must have been on the struggle bus this whole time. And it's like, nah, bro. I'm only on the struggle bus when people say shit like that. I will say, too, like, okay, so first of all, I totally uh, resonate with Veronica's like needing to stay with family mm-hmm. and being expected mm-hmm. to live with family. Like, mm-hmm. I got a master's degree at a school that was like 45 minutes away from my parents' house, and it was like a whole thing when I wanted to move out there um, mm-hmm. and not just commute 45 minutes every day. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it, it was, yeah, that's like totally true. But there's also, I mean, t- like to talk about getting out. Like, that's, I mean, the assumption, right, is, like, pretty mm-hmm. ballsy and inappropriate mm-hmm. and microaggression-y. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. also the case for a lot of people. And even, like, um, you know, there's, we had a conversation kind of, like, offline at one point about, you know, what would we what would we do with, like, a bunch of money? And my first thing mm-hmm. was, like, buying an apartment in Peru, like, in Lima, so that my, right. my like, family could live there. And mm-hmm. I remember you were just like shocked or like you were like surprised because you're like, I would have never mm-hmm. thought to do that. Like just never, you know, <laughs> and it's this thing of mm-hmm. just like knowing that if you do, quote unquote, get out, there's a whole like line of people who you could help. And if you don't like there's guilt, you know, and mm-hmm. that's like a very real thing. It's not like, you know, my family is hanging around being like, why aren't you helping us more? Um, maybe my mom, maybe sometimes, but you know, like it's this, this cultural, like, I don't know, I'm speaking from my own experience, but like feeling like I'm, you know, at a certain place professionally and Mm -hmm. looking kind of behind my shoulder and being like, oh my gosh, there's all of these people that I could help because I've, I have quote unquote, like broken through in such a way. And so that is a very real thing as well. I think I would completely still be appalled if anyone said that to me (laughs) and assumed that that was the case um yeah Yeah. that's wild wild um so i this movie another thing that i really thought a lot about with this movie right is the narrative is so um individualistic yeah right it's so like go live your life 
if your family is holding you back, fuck Yeah, them, you really you know? root for her to, like, yeah, leave. to leave. It's like, oh, my gosh, how could she not take this opportunity in New York so far away? Or, you know, yeah, totally. Right. You really root for it. And I actually struggle with this a lot. As, as a therapist, I work with a lot of first-gen American students who have relationships with their parents that are very strained for a lot of these mm-hmm. reasons. And what's interesting is to, to draw the parallel when I'm working with queer students and they say like coming out will hurt my mm. family or like the only way for me to be queer, for me to be trans, for me to be whatever and be myself is to be rejected from my family. When it's queerness, it's so much more normal to be like, all right, well, let's get you out of that family. Right. And... I think that this idea of like authenticity is so much more complicated. Um, and I do think that when I'm talking to my like first gen American queer, you know, students, it, it, we do, I do handle this with sensitivity, but, but, you know, and it's not a one size fits all kind of thing, Yeah. but it, I, it's interesting to me that like for us, for America Ferrera's character in this, like the solution is not just like, fuck them. Right. I mean, she gets the, her dad's blessing, but I do think if she hadn't gotten her dad's blessing, right, she does leave without her mom. I mean, but she's upset about it, and she really wanted it. She is upset. Um, but I just think it is, like, an interesting kind of thing when we talk about, like, living authentically and, you know, at what point does including your family in your life become untenable yeah. and unsustainable? And I, I'm not, I, I don't have the answer. I don't have the solution, but I do think it's an important um, thing for, for all of us to be thinking about in terms of people who support us and don't support us. And like, at what point do, you know, I think for some students, I w- would certainly support some students saying like, I'm just never going to tell my family yeah. that I'm queer because that's the only way to have a relationship right. with them is to never right. tell them and keep my life separate keep my personal life and my private life separate. And I think, you know, there has been a real movement. And again, this is 2002 in the queer community to, to again, personalize it. Let's just make it about <laughs> me. Um, but, it, you know, there was such like a push of like the, the idea of like pride and coming out and all of those things. And I do think that like queerness has become so much more dynamic and diverse that there's also like a real push to say to people like if it's not safe don't come out yeah right if you're not if that's not the only supported, and that coming out and being loud and proud and all of these different things right does not make you better it does not make you any of those things i mean for some people it might feel really great and empowering and that's great mm-hmm. and and for those people like you know go for it but i think for other people like the you know, all of these questions that we're asking here is really a question of priorities. And it sucks sometimes when our families give us ultimatums. And again, this is not me also just giving families like carte blanche. I think the thing that's really clear in this film is Anna's mom is trying to protect her. And she's trying to protect her by being the one to disappoint her first. Mm -hmm. She's trying to not crush her dreams she's trying to set what she thinks to be realistic expectations for her and Anna has the sort of audacity to dream Mm -hmm. and to want 
I don't even like the word like want more for herself because that's such a judgmental like right. you know biased term she wants other yeah exactly and wanting other hurts to those who don't want other or or don't have access to other absolutely even. I mean that's like that it's not fair comment right like it's by Anna like not wanting to choose that path that her mother that her mother is like laid out for her she is rejecting her mother in a way like that's how she feels mm-hmm. yeah so my research I actually looked into um more of like editorialized but also like uh academic sort of editorial experiences of being raised by immigrant parents mm-hmm. and when it comes to mental health which again I often uh, you know, one of the things I'll often say in therapy is like, I'll be talking to people and I'll be like, okay, what about, you know, looping your family in on this depression or looping your family in on these things? And people will say like, you know, my parents, my family doesn't believe in in mental health. Yeah. Which I actually find to be one of the most culturally universal right, right. things that I hear. And I'll I'll often say to students like, yeah, I'm a white, you know, Methodist from Michigan. My family doesn't believe in yeah. mental health, right? I remember telling my uh, a family member that I was going to therapy when I was in grad school and they said wait why <laughs> and I was like you know I'm going to school to be a therapist right like yeah and they were like um, I'm not naming them uh, but they were like really like thinking that that meant worried. something's very wrong it meant like I'm mentally right. ill and, and we've talked a little bit about here about like the I don't love the term like mental right. illness very much in that it feels very uh, labely. It feels very whatever. And I think if we like treated mental illness like physical illness, it wouldn't bother yeah. me so much, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm sick, right? right? Okay, great. How do you take care of yourself to get right. well, right? And mental illness does not have to be this like chronic lifelong struggle. But again, I, I usually just like to, I, I think of things like in terms of mm-hmm. mental health. But anyway, so in this article, you know, it's uh, about what it's like to be raised by immigrant parents. And one of the common themes that they name is uh, controlling behavior. And so, you know, an immigrant parent, uh, a common reaction is to overly control. And, and part of this is because when you are in the second culture, uh, these parents often feel a, lot, a lack of control in so many parts of their life. And so things like never being able to attend like a sleepover because they didn't know the family. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, the way that this protectiveness comes out, unfortunately, sort of triangulates this child now where they have to choose between what they think is good and fun and their parent. Yep. Right? It sort of does this, like, othering either or. Right? And so um, there's a lot of pressure to succeed. Um, There's a lot of, um, you know, especially... It is more common for immigrants in the United States to have limited financial resources. So the idea of certain things, you know, we talk about her mom sort of limiting her, uh, her thoughts, her goals, her ambitions to something smaller so that she can, you know, help the family, but also so she can have realistic expectations. So this limited uh, autonomy um, is what they call it a normalized negative value common within immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you know, the... No, sorry. There's another uh, aspect to this that is something I've experienced and is named in the movie at some point. But it's like, yes, there's this controlling protectiveness for what the parent thinks is like a um, the right way to be or like the life that they want for their child. And there's also 
this idea of sacrifice. So on my side as like the, you know, the child of, of an immigrant, it's like you, you are acutely aware and told stories growing up of like what your parents' life was like, um, what they got away from, like what, um, they have sacrificed in coming to a different country. Um, like my mom graduated from college, like after I did, you know, like the priority was me going to college. And so there's like sacrifice there that's, you know, some, some of it's named, some of it is not, some of it is like me feeling that pressure, putting that pressure on myself of like, I have to succeed yeah. to like make that my, succeed. you know, my mom has mm-hmm. dealt with so much racism and it has to like be worth mm-hmm. it in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this, and I do think it's this sort of two culture experience yeah. that like is so divided, right? This, this, you know, wealthy Beverly Hills kid, right? He and his parents, you assume, you don't know that his parents are, are not immigrants, but you assume that he's sort of uh, like he is challenged to seek his passion, mm-hmm. right? And his passion is to give back. Right. And America Ferreira can't even engage in the idea of giving back when her family is so focused on their own, you know, financial well being, right. their own financial struggle, and how, you know, one of the things that, um, that uh, Veronica and I, when we were working together, had. Um, you know, was I, I was always um, praised at work for uh, coming in on weekends to collect data, which was mm-hmm. a job. And I was praised because I would tell them when I would leave early on a Friday, I would say, I'm leaving early today because I'm coming in on Saturday to collect right. data. And so my boss was like, wow, JD's coming in on weekends. Look at JD. He's doing such a good job. Veronica never told our boss that because in her words, you don't ask for praise for doing the job that you're already being paid. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And so, right, right? And so these sort of, the thing that happens then is sort of in academics or in, this was in an academic position, it was a research you know, lab, my values and my history were so aligned with the values of the lab and the values of our mm-hmm. boss that me doing less work right she wouldn't leave early when she would come in on weekends because she wasn't because like that's the job that's the job right and uh she would um she she was not lauded she was not commended in the same way i actually got a higher raise than her and then we did bring it to the boss but it was like wait a second she's doing this job in two languages yeah (laughs) i mean that's this is a problem that's so real Um, but it was it was this sort of cultural divide it's even like the asking for i mean this is why pay uh like uh, what is it called transparency around pay is like so important Mm -hmm. it's because like Mm -hmm. you know this is kind of along gender lines but you know women don't even think to ask for a raise while Mm -hmm. a man will you know Mm -hmm. and it's like this idea of like Mm -hmm. why would i ask for a raise or like why would i ask for credit for something that is part of the job you know right why would i ask for extra like yeah. praise for doing something that I'm expected exactly exactly whereas like and like from your perspective of like well I have to come in for this amount of time so it makes sense uh to like take that time out of my week because I'm paid for 40 hour mm-hmm. a 40 hour work week like that 
makes total sense. But it's just interesting like, that it would not occur. Like, that wouldn't occur to me either. Right. Well, and I should name, I, I did not handle this well initially in the sense that when uh, she, she and I are good friends, still are. And at the time when we realized the raise mm-hmm. thing happened and it happened at different percentages, I got a higher raise than she did. My first suggestion to her was, well, just do what I do. Just act like I do. <laughs> yeah. And she had the grace and kindness to do me the favor to say, like, you just told me to act white. Yeah. And I need you to hear how fucked up yeah. that is. And, and I, didn't, I didn't hear it, right? It was this well-intentioned sure. white savior yeah. bullshit. That like, and she, again, did not have to do me the courtesy of saying that. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, for Veronica to do that, I, I mean, we'd, we'd had a, a really, we'd worked together for over a year at that point, and I think she knew me well enough. But honestly, like a lot of people would have written me off for, for being racist, yeah. right? Like that was, I was absolutely being yeah. racist. Um, and my idea was for her to, quote, like get ahead or do better was to abandon the values of her culture and just embrace yeah. mine. Yeah, yeah, Right? Just assimilate. Um, and you know, that I, I, I think like it's, yeah, I think that's, that's my struggle with this film is like, is it, it's, uh, it really is a pro assimilist kind of narrative. And again, I think this movie is important. There are not a lot of like Mexican American narratives. There's not a lot of like stories. I am not Mexican American. I am not a first gen American. Um, but I think that, you know, the movies that got made in 2002, you know, I think a lot of white Hollywood really patted themselves on the back for making this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, so the writer is based on a short story by a Latino mm-hmm. woman. So mm-hmm. I I do think assimilation, too, is not, I don't, I want to, like, be careful to not, like, blame people for assimilating either not that that's what you're doing but totally. like that's what it, yeah, there's this yeah, idea absolutely. of like um like and i totally did this too of like i already look different than the people around me and they point that mm-hmm. out and so the way i mm-hmm. can uh like deal with that and not feel so different and such like an outsider is be as quote-unquote normal as possible like adopt mm-hmm. all of the cultural which norms yeah white. which means being white because mm-hmm. that's the community that i was raised in and mm-hmm. um you know to a point where i'm like i've had huge identity <laughs> crisis issues mm-hmm. because i mm-hmm. wasn't i did not feel safe to yeah. be like my own person it was like a survival mode thing of like what how do i succeed here in this place in this country Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. uh you know Mm -hmm. industry like i gotta do what i gotta do because there are no i already have uh like people are aware and there's like a visibility that i have that i don't want you know Mm -hmm. and so i need to be perfect in every other way to compensate for like the fact that i'm other you know and so it's like this pro assimilist thing uh, not to like psychoanalyze the the writer, but I'm wondering how conscious she was of 
that, you know, of like, is she telling this story? Like, is this part of her story? Is she drawing from personal things? Is she, you know, like, where is she kind of coming from with that? Because I think that can be like America Ferrer's character, like Anna was like not wrong for wanting all of the things that she wanted and for seeing that as the path to success, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely yeah. agree, right? And I am, I'm again saying, like, I am sitting in the privilegedest place. Yeah. Right? Uh, and just naming that I have to think a lot in terms of my values that I was raised with and my sort of social norms uh, when talking with yeah. people about these struggles because the answer is not as clear as, hey, just do what we do, it'll make it easier for you, or as clear as like, you know, just reject your family if they're, quote, holding you back from, quote, more or better or whatever, when like, it's so, it's so tough. Yeah, I mean, even that, that like, like, uh, notifying your bosses thing, now that I'm thinking about it, is like, drawing attention, like, she would be drawing attention to herself by sending that email, Mm -hmm. right? And like, not... Mm -hmm. Uh, making assumptions about where she was at. But, like, for me, it's all about, like, a lot of the stuff I do is, like, drawing the least amount of attention as possible. Mm -hmm. So it would not occur Mm -hmm. to me to, you know, say something to a boss or, like, to notify people, like, when I don't have to or when I feel Mm -hmm. like, okay, I can get it done, like, it's not a problem, whatever. Um, Just that act of drawing attention to yourself, whether reasonable, whether for good, for bad, whatever, it's, like, uncomfortable. Yeah. scary. Also, you know, people are so reactive when told that they have done something racist mm-hmm. that they're most likely uh, incredibly defensive. Yeah. Um, particularly an employer where, like, there could be some real scary ramifications. Totally. And, you know, in that sense, like, that can then undermine you know, the, the relationship that you have with somebody who, again, she's applying to grad school. She needed a letter totally, of recommendation. Totally, totally. And you got to do what you got to do. Like, it's... You got to do And how do. many, again, like, not to, be, like, make assumptions about where her mind was at, but it's, like, how many chance opportunities will I have to mm-hmm. get this shot? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't have infinite shots. <laughs> so if I have an opportunity yeah. that I can see a path to getting into grad school or getting the job I want or whatever... There is more, like, pressure to be like, well, I got to make it count. I got to, you know, put up Mm -hmm. with what I got to put up with because this is it. Like, I'm so lucky I even got here in the first place, you know. Totally. And if I remember correctly, what she chose to do was make this only about how she communicates her Mm -hmm. effort when she spoke, when we, we both went together, which is also why bosses hate when you talk about how much you get paid and how how you get raises. Uh, we we did she did ask me to go in with her, um, and we just talked about the fact that she and I are working the same mm-hmm. amount. Uh, or if I think I actually said she probably works more than I do. Um, and she's we did name that she was, you know, more of an asset because uh, we were recruiting patients in Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. She could talk to one hundred percent of the patients. Yeah. I could not. Yeah. I could, I could only speak to about 60% of the patients that we enrolled in these right. studies, right? Which makes her a more valuable employee. Um, 
but yeah, and I hope, you know, I hope this story, again, serves not to show, like, look how much I know, but, like, really just one of the things I'm passionate about is giving examples of times that I have gotten Yeah, like, wrong, it was a learning experience And I will continue to get it wrong. You, yeah. And it was some pretty overt racism that I enacted in yeah. the workplace. And I was fortunate to have it pointed out to me because I was so well-intentioned that I didn't yeah. see it. And the road to hell is paved with good intentions, <laughs> y'all. So... If you're lucky enough to have somebody check you when you are racist, say thank yeah. you. Because, woof. Yeah. It's real. And America Ferrer is a star. Uh, I just love, uh, I love her so much. She is a movie star. Like, and truly, like, the thing that I, that I you know, I sort of named that I was like, wow, I felt like her acting really improved throughout the film. What, what I do think, you know, a lot of people say a lot of, uh, things about somebody like Julia Roberts where they're like oh she's not a great actor but she sure is a movie mm. star right and I do think America Ferrera is a great yeah, actor yeah. especially now um, this is her very 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 first thing she was just felt a little a, a little green in some parts but she's a star like you want to watch her you want to root for her totally um, carrying a whole movie as like an 18 or 19 yeah. year old like that is not easy and she did it and this was a big movie it was yeah I mean it was like an indie film but it, it was critically acclaimed it's like preserved and it was in theaters yeah everywhere. it's like preserved yeah. by the national congress of i don't know whatever it's it's important yeah. uh culturally significant and um yeah i mean she's just great she's great she's did great. you know that she uh is well, a founder sorry yeah. this is the last thing. Yeah. she bought uh or was like an investor one of the uh owners of like a newly formed women's soccer league in LA yeah no. and I just read that because I was looking at her Wikipedia and I was like of course she is like another freaking of amazing thing is. yeah well and she was just like one of the first people to really like come out as a very young woman she was very active politically I mean, she, she still is, is really, yeah it's like, she does so much work is. yeah it's amazing so much work and she's just a really cool yeah person um it's a great movie y'all it is on HBO Max yep. Give it a Definitely watch. Definitely check it out. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I have been Dr. Janie Barton. I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. This has been another gorgeous episode of Real Psych. Like, subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend. Tell two friends. <laughs> and we'll see you next Bye. week. Bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.